0: If you are listening to this podcast episode today or watching it on YouTube, consider yourself to be most lucky because today we have got something very special exclusively for you. I am more than honored and privileged to introduce you a wonderful human being, a remarkable individual, a beacon of professionalism, knowledge and wisdom in the aviation sphere. He was barely 17 years old when he took his flight to Moscow, to undergo pilot training in Russia. And his pilot training was nothing less than a typical military flying, demanding resilience and unwavering commitment to success. Despite facing several hurdles, his relentless spirit and unwavering determination propelled him to attain the coveted status of a commercial pilot. However, once he returned to India, the license conversion process seemed to be even difficult. Tirelessly, he knocked every conceivable door, engaging in conversations with industry stalwarts, yet encountering insurmountable obstacles. Embracing this challenge as an opportunity, he embarked on an intellectual crusade, deciphering and navigating the intricacies of regulations until he could finally secure his Indian commercial pilot license in the year 2005. This transformative experience crystallized his career trajectory. Opting to share his wealth of knowledge, he chose the path of a flight instructor, driven by a profound desire to assist others on their aviation odyssey. Dear pilots in the making, please join me in welcoming the most sought after chief flight instructor, boasting a legacy of over 5,000 flight hours, which includes 4,500 hours of instructional experience, mentoring more than 750 aspiring aviators. Captain S.K. Shah the founder director of TransAviocons Private Limited Hyderabad, a distinguished institution in pilot training. Welcome to Squawk 7001, Captain Shane. Pleasure having you on this show today.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: please tell us about your aviation journey so far.
1: Yeah, I started my uh, I started as an assistant flight instructor in 2008 and in one of the flight schools in Hyderabad. And I used to fly the Cessna 152 and 172. And in uh, 2010, I became a supervising instructor where I could handle the entire flight school. And now, uh, I fly 152, 172, DA40, 40, DA42 as well as... Uh, I'm also open-rated, so I can fly any aircraft, a single engine, less than fifteen hundred kgs.
0: Could you please give us an overview of uh, pilot training industry in the country?
1: Once I converted the license, then uh, I joined uh, a flight school as a F- AFI. So uh, that time, uh, it was like say every every student wants to get trained in India, and uh, you had less aircraft. Uh, if if a school has got five or six aircraft, there would be hundred students waiting for flying a student used to get flying maybe once in four days five days so a lot of students used to have difficulties in continuing with their uh, assessment checks continue with their uh, level of performance and over a period of time slowly the number of aircrafts increased as well as people also started going abroad uh, for flying training to such destinations where they used to complete uh, flying faster it's not only faster flying so also the standards are better so now uh, in 2015, DGCF come out with the recertification. Some more global standards have been adopted. Uh, uh, a deputy CFI position has been put in, uh, apart from the CFI position. Then uh, the instructors have been re-qualified for uh, supervising the schools as it was before. So over a period of time, flight industry has, flight training industry has grown in, in some other manner. And today we have around 35 flight schools operating in India.
0: So you had been in flight training industry for almost uh, 13 years, 15 years now, and you have seen lots of ups and downs. Could you just tell us as to what is the combined capacity of uh, the flight training industry in India in terms of uh, size and in terms of its uh, capability to produce pilots?
1: I can tell this year's data. Somewhere around 55% uh, of the total pilots are produced in India, say for This year, close to 850 pilots have been produced in India. And the remaining, so total licenses issued uh, as per the data is around 1400 change. So another 550 to 600 licenses are converted from foreign. So, capacity, let's keep it somewhere around 800 to 850 at this point.
0: When I was referring to certain uh, information and the documents available on internet, you have close to 230 aircrafts which are registered for uh, flight training in India uh which are used by all the schools uh, that are currently operating i also came to know that uh, for every serviceable aircraft you must have one instructor and you can train uh, 10 students in an year so going by this uh, equation and ratio if you have 230 aircrafts which are registered for flying training at the rate of uh, 10 students per uh, air, uh, aircraft you should be in a position to produce uh, minimum 2,000 to 2,500 pilots in India. Whereas when you see the number of licenses issued in this year till about October, which is close to 1,300 or 1,500, just about 50% of the capacity. So why do you think the the flight schools are not in a position to produce pilots to their maximum capacity?
1: Now, first of all, this data is uh, gone, means uh, it's a... Uh... Government data, it's a DGC data 230 aircraft, but this data is purely taken from the number of aircraft which is registered under training category. So there could have been an aircraft registered in 2010 in training category and still it is continuing to be in the register. But uh, effectively that aircraft might not be there. Maybe it must have got into a crash in 2019 and uh, went into a total loss so that you cannot uh, you know get it back. So you have around... 150, 160 aircraft, out of that, the serviceability is another thing. So out of this 150 so-called aircraft, which is active and in shape, uh, 70% is serviceability, which is available for operation. So that means somewhere around 120, 130 planes might be operating at any given point of time. So with 120 aircraft serviceable, which is already 50% of the 230, so your capacity comes down to 1100. So 1000 people might be getting trained in all the flight schools, but only passing out is only 850. That is how the number stands.
0: Okay. Now, could you walk us through the structure of the CPL course as defined by the DGCA in India?
1: The course structure generally, it's an kind of an integrated in the sense, uh, not that uh, legal word of integration, what uh, terminology has been used in other countries, but integrated course means you are undergoing the theoretical training and flying training under the same school and the theory and the flying happens hand in hand, something like this is an ideal scenario, but depends on a a lot of uh, uh, parameters for the last around 10 years or so, there has been a trend developed that initially you complete the ground school, which is also mandated. That means before you sit in an aircraft, you need to complete the theoretical training. So, you complete the theoretical training, uh, You that is the ground school you complete it, then you start the flying. So, it has been divided into two phases. Phase 1, you complete the theoretical class. After that, you give exams uh, for your SPL, followed by DGC exams, uh, for uh, uh, your public exams kind of DGC exams. So, you get an SPL and you start flying. Once you start flying, then you have different phases in flying. You have the beginner stage, intermediate, PPL stage. Advanced PPL stage, then your hour building stage, then your final advanced training in your multi IR training, then followed by your test and exams uh, in flights. And after that, you apply for your license.
0: So are there any periodical checks or you know stage uh, progression checks uh, that takes place while a student is undergoing the pilot training, especially when a student starts his or her practical flight training?
1: Yes, uh, the assessment do happen uh, at every stage. The first assessment happens after five hours of flying. Uh, Definitely this assessment is being taken by a senior instructor or maybe even the chief flight instructor takes it. So this gives an understanding to the uh, operating instructors uh, that how how good is uh, the student in terms of handling the plane and plus how he or she is getting... Uh, uh, gelled or getting uh, getting along with that atmosphere basically. That means in a plane and in the air. Generally, humans are not designed for uh, doing any work up in the air. They're all designed for walking on the ground. So this assessment is very crucial where the senior instructor or the chief flight instructor will advise or recommend for further training to continue with some critical exercises where the student has not performed. After that, there is a 10th, at the 10th hour, there can be a check that there can be a, that's also an assessment. Then you have a pre solo assessment where again, the CFI or a senior instructor checks the student whether he or she is uh, uh, skilled enough or able to control the plane as well as uh, have an understanding of the awareness or a situational uh, awareness uh, while flying and finally it comes down uh, to the assessment of the solo whether the pilot the trainee pilot is able to take the plane on his own or her own uh, control fly the plane on a particular traffic pattern within the local area of the aerodrome and come back and land so this is the first solo flight that is where the confidence of the the student goes up then afterwards then you have the intermediate training where you're practicing your solo bringing more confidence into it then you have your PPL level of uh, checks is that then comes your cross-country navigation flights from uh, you fly from a point A to point B, certainly a longer flight uh, with a distance over maybe 185 to 200 kilometers and the student comes back to original aerodrome from where he or she has departed. So the phase continues, then you have the night flying, then you have the instrument rating where you will be trained how to fly a plane even at a low visibility in terms of uh, in, in perspective of an instrument uh, which you have in the cockpit. And finally, you have the, the license uh, examinations. So that's a, something like the final exams which you have, it, which has been taken by an examiner. So you have around seven exams, flying exams in various aircraft for your instrument rating as well as for your commercial pilot license.
0: So, what are the benefits of completing theoretical training beforehand, before one steps into cockpit?
1: See, initially, uh, initially uh, the student undergoes a theoretical training to understand uh, the, the, the science of uh, the aviation. So, it has got various subjects. It has got a, a technical subject. It has got a navigation. It has got a study of weather, the meteorology and it has got air regulation that means the laws, the rules and regulations under which uh, the industry is governed, the flying is governed, etc. Then they have the communication training, you have the RTR exam, how to handle RT, etc. So it is very important for them to understand these things along with that they will also be getting the briefings for flying regarding the airspace where they are flying. Uh, generally, schools. Uh, Does this? But uh, I would recommend it, it it should start with an orientation training for a day or two, uh, a detailed orientation where they will be shown or they'll be navigated through the entire zero to 18 months of time where they are going to be in what classroom for how many hours, etc. Who are the instructors and what are the capabilities of instructor followed by introduction to the flight instructors and where they're going to fly and how they should behave in a hangar, etc. So these orientation classes are not being given, but it should ideally be given to all the uh, students. So followed by the theoretical training, then they complete their SPL exams and uh, they start the flying.
0: Students must be spending a considerable amount of time on uh, understanding the theory that you are mentioning about and also to build that flying horse experience. So, what are the typical timelines uh, involved in uh, completing the theory classes and then uh, thereafter complete the flying training?
1: See, theory classes for uh, CPL theory classes, DGCA is stipulating around 350 hours of classes. So, but ideally it will end up in 450 hours. So, that is close to around uh, 12 weeks of classes, which is around 3 months of classes. uh, 45 hours per week. Uh, So, this is the this is the time taken for completing the theoretical classes this is slightly on a faster mode because you are only concentrating on those subjects which is very highly technical or very f- focused on your course but other than that they should also get some additional training but unfortunately that is not there in the syllabus three months theoretical training and followed by another 12 to 15 months for your flying training. So, together it takes around 15 to 18 months is an ideal time uh, for a person to become a commercial pilot.
0: So, when you undergo pilot training, you are uh, flying for approximately 200 hours and uh, there are several exercises uh, that a student has to complete. And it is done in uh, different stages. So are there any uh, minimum flying hours requirement for each stage or are there any minimum flying hours the student has to fly for each exercise as such?
1: DGCA has not prescribed any such uh, stage wise flying or phase wise flying is not been given because uh, there is no structured syllabus uh, introduced or issued by DGCA. They have the requirements uh, which is as per the regulation is uh, a total of 200 hours of uh, flying in an aircraft. So this 200 hours is been split into different phases by the school. So it could be a, 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 your pre-solo stage, your solo stage, your advanced solo, your PPL. So these stages can be defined by the school, put it in their training and procedures manual, where they clearly indicate that how many hours, how the training has been carried out. And this gets approved by DGCA. So every school has got the freedom to design their program within these 200 hours which is not very a healthy situation as far as the training is concerned because the 15th hour or the 20th hour of a training of a school necessarily need not match with the 20th hour of the same school which is in the same airport that is a neighboring school within the same airspace. So this I have seen as I was flying in Begumpe, three to four flight schools were flying So, we could see that there is a difference in standard, there is a difference in pattern, etc. It depends on the aircraft, aircraft speed, etc. But generally, recommended is should have a structured training.
0: So, how sacrosanct is this minimum requirement of 200 hours to get your license? Is is there any flexibility that you can get your license in say 190 hours? Or uh, there could be a question where you have to fly more than 200 hours, how does it work?
1: Now, 200 hours is a, a flying requirement, what DGCA recommends. So in this 200 hours, uh, you, uh, you have various stages, uh, various phases I have told you know. So in this, you have something called the instrument rating. So instrument rating in it is an additional training or an additional qualification view, which you get it along with your license. Uh, that enables you to fly the airplane completely under instrument flight rules. Basically, when visually, when you cannot fly the plane, that means when the visibility is less or you have other phenomenas happening and you need to fly it. So the instruments are the only source where you can rely and you can fly. So this instrument flying, that is the instrument rating, is also contained in this two hundred hours. So apart from this, to complete the instrument rating, you also need to... Uh, do 20 hours of uh, simulator training uh, if 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 you if you structure it well and if your training is good you can have this done within 200 hours but generally the 20 hours of simulator is been done so that they get a practice on the simulator which will help them in practicing their uh, if uh, training while they are on the flights
0: so what are the probabilities and the possibilities of uh, completing uh, uh, the entire flight training in on-dot at 200 hours or exceeding 200 hours? Is it uh, something uh, which is uh, very frequent or uh, kind of a rare phenomena?
1: It's not very frequent, but uh, it's rare. It's rare because most of the schools, they would not uh, like to go anything beyond what DGCS is even though DGC has not restricted anybody not to go above 200. But uh, there is a general tendency that you you complete it at the 200th dot-dot hours. But while I was uh, supervising the school for which I was there for 10, 11 years, I had failures from the first batch. Uh, sometimes they fail in the final checks. And so you need to give them additional training. So there are people who have finished in 205, 207. Uh, 210 hours sometimes it can go up to 212 13 hours so this all depends on the proficiency levels what you need to attain say dgca has given a generic proficiency levels
0: so does it mean that uh, in order to complete all the required exercises uh, you need close to 170 180 hours and the rest of the 20 hours are kind of cushion kind of a buffer in case if you need certain uh, skills to be polished or if you want to revise some exercises or if you want to do some additional practice to be more confident in the cockpit, these 15-20 hours are used as a cushion, as a buffer to uh, uh, increase your proficiency levels.
1: That is right. So, your last 15 hours, you have exactly, told the last 15-20 hours are just practice the exams and bringing your performance, etc. Learning stops at some level, then it's only practice and you're skilling, and you're polishing, fine-tuning. You are revising all your lessons on that 15 hours and getting ready for the
0: exams. The majority of the flight schools are that are operating from uncontrolled airports. Though there are some schools which are operating from controlled airports and maybe certain international airports, but majority are operating from uncontrolled airports. So they have their own merits and demerits. So how do you think a student should be you know, taking a call that which school they should be joining, looking into these aspects of operations and the difficulties?
1: I would tell that the best form of training is a mix of both worlds where you should fly from an uncontrolled aerodrome as well as from a controlled aerodrome. Uh, this gives a little edge over uh, the people who only fly in con- uncontrolled aerodrome. So you need to have the mix of both worlds. So I would prefer a a controlled aerodrome training is a compulsory one along with your uh, uncontrolled training. It 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 boosts the confidence. It gives a lot of learning in real time. It gives the student the confidence to handle the ATC at different levels. It's very less schools. I can maybe count it in fingers that uh, they give this experience. Otherwise, every school uh, does it in an uncontrolled aerodrome for which they positively, they... Put it as a faster flying in an uncontrolled aerodrome, which is in one way uh, attracts the student these days because everybody is hurrying to be. So majority of the schools, I would tell maybe 90 percent of the schools or even 95 percent of the schools are from uncontrolled aerodrome.
0: What is the scenario in uh, other countries? Do they also have the same problem?
1: See, in abroad, uh, there is a compulsory, there are some phases of flights, you need to do it in controlled aerodrome, there is no other exception for it. Say, for example, you need to do the instrument flying in an instrument aerodrome, where you have your instrument uh, uh, base, in the sense you have your instruments, in the sense your VOR or your NDB or your ILS or different instruments. So you need to do the flying in an instrument environment only. Uh, and night flying is also being done either in a controlled airspace or in an uncontrolled airspace but with all the facilities uh, What is is required for a night flying so in abroad you you cannot practice if in the vicinity of an uncontrolled aerodrome that
0: so for a student pilot apart from handling an aircraft and uh, flying the machine Are there any specific skills or unique skills that are required to be uh, more proficient and uh, to be successful in this profession?
1: Uh, I would put uh, the primary is uh, the clarity in communication. They should have a clear communication skills, which you don't need to study that somewhere. You just need to develop it by talking to different people. Then you should have a situational awareness. Along with that, uh, uh, the ability to learn and if you're good in mental max, your half the job is done in your uh, cockpit. Then obviously team working skills because you will be flying with your instructor in the same cockpit and you need to have that uh, team working skills. Then along with that, uh, quick thinking skills and decisiveness and the ability to remain calm in case of any urgency, not to get panicked by getting panicked uh, and overall, if you have uh, confidence and good attitude and self-discipline, and uh, you should have a leadership ability, which you can develop it over time, because that will lead you to become a pilot in command uh, of an airline in a big airliner once you join an airline.
0: Is there something called pilot attitude?
1: The student looks up to the instructor as a role model, and uh, they try to Im- imitate the same. So the instructor should also have that qualities. Uh, which they want to see in their students. And generally, if you have that and with all this training and with all these briefings an attitude will come in. But in spite of all this training, if the attitude is not coming in, then it takes some time for him or her to get into that uh, mode.
0: So are students uh, trained on these personality traits that you're talking about? Uh, Does the curriculum that is laid down by regulatory authority Uh, supports this kind of personality development when a student is undergoing pilot training?
1: No, unfortunately not. Uh, We do not have uh, uh, such a system right now here because uh, everybody is focusing how a pilot can be produced as quick as possible because a pilot is a a legally approved or uh, a person with a license who can occupy the seat, one seat of a cockpit. So that is what all the industry is looking at because of the the sudden expansion, the economic growth of country. You know, you do not have
0: that much time to do it right now. So what is ideal time to complete the flying training in the most effective manner?
1: I think 18 months is good time, 15 to 18 months. I would rather be very clear, 18 months sometimes you will be able to fly it faster. So looking at that around 15 to 18 months is a
0: good time for someone to complete the license, including their exams. So what are the repercussions of rushing through the training?
1: No, rushing through the hours, see, uh, it's something like that. Let me put it generally like that, uh, on a generic status or in a generic mode that uh, when you go Uh, for an interview with an airline where you are qualified because the license gives you the entry to apply for a job in the airline the airline will look at your attitude some of the airlines will uh, look at your attitude your proficiency level your communication the way you carry yourself and how good are you in knowledge they are not going to check you that how well you landed how fast you have flown or what is the minimum time you have taken so you are not going to be appreciated for that six months of flying because the moment uh, they see the six months of flying they understand that you have hurried through all the exercises and that definitely is going to be you know um, reflecting in your uh, skill set checks say for example if they want to put you through a simulator and see how your skills are going on and in the first 10 minutes itself They'll understand that how well you're confident in that. And in six months flying, your confidence doesn't come in. You can take off and land a plane, but it doesn't give you that knowledge, uh, additional knowledge to use it while you're flying. So it takes the same time. Say you finish in six months, uh, it takes some time for you to relearn, really relearn everything and get in. So I would recommend all the aspirants who are looking to become a pilot that don't brush yourself because. learning something uh, for your living in the sense you are learning something to practice for their entire life and this is one of the in one of the industry or one of the job where you practice what you learn that means you you are not deviating from what you're learning so if you're learning well taking time and learning then your practice also becomes easier and you will be able to climb your career uh, ladder faster so I would recommend that uh, Rushing through six months, is uh, it doesn't give you any privilege in your uh, job.
0: Thank you so very much, Shane. It was always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I look forward to connecting with you once again with yet another insightful episode. Thank you so much.